Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include possible discussion of spiritual and religious trauma, possible homophobia, and gender presentation-related criticism. Anyways, hello everyone. I'm Gender Meowster. I use they-them pronouns, and I will let my guest introduce himself. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Hello. Hi, I'm Justin. I use he-him pronouns. Glad well, welcome, to be here. Welcome to the show, Justin. It's so fun to have you here. Yeah, I'm thanks for having me. Me too. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Where do we even start? Oh my gosh. Where do we start? <laughs> By getting focused. There we go. I'm pretty sure you and I have written more potential questions to discuss than I've written with any talk show guest before a show ever. <laughs> yes, I agree. So it's a lot. It's so fun. I'm excited. I guess we could start with, can you tell us maybe just a little bit about some of your identities that you hold? Like, where are you in the LGBTQ plus rainbow? and yeah. maybe a little bit about your background. Yeah, right now I identify as a gay man. Depending on who I'm talking to, I think I can also identify as having bi experiences. At one point I was a identified as straight. I think many people share that journey as well. I started in my in my path I was I'm a, still a musician, classical trained musician. So I went to school for that. I have a vocal performance degree actually, so I did a lot of opera stuff and singing stuff and music stuff, band, that kind of thing. Then I taught high school for 10 years. I was a choral director and then I transitioned into a theater and filmmaking, a general media arts field. And I got really into the idea of storytelling at that point. And eventually, like some people say, Everything that's not anchored down ends up in California. I made it to, I drove across the country to Los Angeles, where I'm at now. And I've done a mixture of things from various design type of things, music included with that, and filmmaking. And I was an organist at a church at one point. So now I run my own kind of consulting firm on creating digital spaces for people. And I have a lot of fun doing that. That is so cool. Yeah. Can we all be you when we grow up? I just, I love I, the variety of like jobs and things that you've had and the breadth of your skill set is really impressive. It's either really impressive or I've, I get really bored easy. One of it just, I don't know. That type of work history gives me big like neurodivergent vibes, like ADHD in particular. Like, just mm -hmm. cannot do one thing forever. You have to switch it up and learn new stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you, I forget if we've talked about this. Do you think you may land anywhere on that sort of neurodivergent spectrum somewhere, potentially? Sure. Uh, I've never officially looked into it or done any sort of research or exploration in that mm -hmm. regard. I think it's okay to mention that my brother actually has, as an adult, recently been diagnosed with some mild movement on the spectrum there. So, we're, so I'm exploring that myself with him and what that means for me 
and looking back on all the times, it was like, that's interesting. Makes a lot of sense. So for sure, absolutely. I think in um, college, I had some definite that I notified myself about some learning disabilities that I had. Mm-hmm. There are some, especially in music, where everything is oral, like listening and putting on paper. I had some hard times with that that I wasn't expecting. So for sure, there's some. Yeah. It's something that we explore a lot in my community is a lot of people realize that they're neurodivergent in some way or that they're trans in some way. And it's like a journey of hatching that people go through. And the rest of us just do our best to be aggressively wholesome and loving while people figure it out. It's cool to figure stuff out about yourself. And I feel with pandemic and stuff, a lot of folks have had that sort of introspective time to really sink more into those things so let's see do you want to talk about filmmaking or your podcast next let's do filmmaking okay i think ever since i was little i was always trying to make movies my parents bought me do you remember those humongous like panasonic video cameras that sat on your shoulder i got one of those and i thought i was like an award-winning director at age six i would always make these movies including recreating like what i thought was star trek episodes which we can talk about. My poor brother was the one that I always made the co-star or the this or that or the bad guy and I'm the good guy or something like that. Yeah, I was always creating and making sets and editing and making things expand their potential and technology and or making, I think I, I think I also made my brother make a little puppet stage or something. And there was always some sort of show happening and watching movies growing up and So when I became older and realized that actually you could actually make movies like and play with the toys that are much bigger and much more expensive and they actually do the real things that really intrigued me. And I really dug into it and I was invited to be to work on my first actual for reals film set by a friend of mine who was directing a a movie in Charleston where I grew up, Charleston, South Mm -hmm. Carolina. And that was such a cool experience. The movies actually And it was actually an LGBT themed movie. And I can plug it if you don't mind. It's called The Wise Kids, directed by Stephen Cohn, a great friend of mine. And it was about basically our story about growing up gay in Charleston in the South, surrounded by some religious um, environments. So I worked on that film in production, but I also got thrown in there as an extra because we needed some extra things at 3 a.m. And so I do appear in there. So it's funny to see myself in there. I think it's on Netflix still, but it's definitely somewhere. But this certain director has directed a handful of award-winning LGBT-themed movies, and they're great if you want to look them up. And I can um, send those links later on. But so I was firsthand of thrown into this environment, and it just was magical to me, like the element, like the lighting and how that works and the camera angles. And I wanted to learn everything there was to know about it since I've been exploring this since I was um, a kid. So long story longer, I guess, that propelled me into Los Angeles where everything was happening. And so I worked on many sets, often for free or a little pay just to be in that environment and learn as much as I can to be a filmmaker sponge. I really enjoyed it. And in some regards, I still am attached to that now, but yeah, it was, it, it informed definitely what I do now, which is to refine the way that I try to tell stories visually on on a screen in front of us. I still am directing, I'm directing a documentary right now that I started in 2013 and we're still going. The working title is The American Chorister. And we can talk about that a little later with some other related topics, but hopefully it will be wrapped up in the next couple of years. 
as with most stories, when the pandemic hit us, it changed the course of the storyline. So I was actually ready to wrap up that story and put it out there. And then COVID hit and I was like, wait a minute here, this is what's happening. This is the story. So now I've had to mm-hmm. extend that a little bit as with everything it's touched all of us. So that's where I'm at with that. And in a micro sense, if you don't mind me going into the path of social media for a little bit. Sure. I what attracted me to it was going from the progression from teaching to filmmaking to social media was it dawned on me that Twitter was like a little micro movie that I could just keep going with it. And all the stars were real people (laughs) that you can tell stories with. So once I realized there was like an ongoing storytelling aspect, it really fascinated me. So I've always had that approach to it. Now I'm fully involved in the social media land and how I can, number one, help find people's stories, often with people that have difficulty telling their own stories. It's probably my favorite thing is to try to uncover that for for them or with them. And, And also help people realize that their story is worth telling. So it's really lots of fun. So that's where I'm, I am now. That is so fun. In the Twitch chat, people are saying, how does Meowster know so many cool folks? So people well, think it's you're obvious. cool. I just said I'm lucky. <laughs> that's how you're I surrounded by coolness because you're cool too. No, that's so kind of you. Okay, people are excited about Star Trek. Can you tell us more about your love mm. of Star Trek? Absolutely. I think as you and I have experienced, I talk about Star Trek endlessly. It's just, I can't help it. Fair warning for, I know that this is a very, you know, touchy subject worldwide, but the type of Star, and I'm not quite sure what the term is. I know there's Trekkie and Trekker. Although I embrace all of the Star Trek series mostly, I'm not, I generally don't align myself with the original series. I'm not against it. I just don't, I just haven't delved that much into it. I think as a a born in the eighties kid, I always saw the next generation aired late at night on television or at some odd points of the day. And those are one of the things that I tried to recreate with my brother at home, like making these episodes, trying to make the ship noise. If anybody remembers the video game, Star Fox, Mm -hmm. there is this sound that you could make that would cause this whirling sound. I was like, that sounds a lot like the um, bridge on the Enterprise. So I made it do that, recorded it, made that like our ship noise and we were on the bridge. Ridiculous. Did you ever try to recreate like shot for shot an entire episode? Moments of them, yes. Not an entire episode, but that's an interesting idea to do now. So I would try, what I did try to do is try to recreate the elements as much as possible to real life. So like Mm -hmm. the sound effects, the transporter effect, I figured out that if you just stand in one place and then do a cut and then disappear, it would make it look like you transported all those things. My poor brother, that I made him do all that stuff with me. Yeah, growing up older, having just watched it and being cool and techie, I think I was attracted to the technology and the beeping sounds. And I'm a bit of an audiophile, meaning I really like the sounds and music of a cinematic experience. It's one of the first things that I pay attention to. And as a director, it's also very important to me. My my first short film that I directed, I was very close friends with the audio person because I wanted to capture every moment. If there's sheets on the bed, I want to hear the crispiness of them rolling over. I want to hear 
the environment in the room. I want to hear the picking up and putting down of the cup and the sauce. All that stuff is very important to me and helps me create um, a story even more so than the visuals sometimes. Uh, maybe that's why I'm doing a podcast now. Who knows? But so that was the first experience in my Star Trek world. I just loved the attention to creating the world with nothing. So beeps and sounds and the computer voice with Majel Barrett's voice, oh my God. Then as I got older and I started to experience the difficulties in life, I began to see that these episodes were comforting and they helped me to see the world through a lens and help through allegory and storytelling how to move through them, really. I always tell people that there's a Star Trek episode for every moment in life. Hmm. And I think e even in conversations with you, Mouster, I've said, oh, there's a Star Trek episode about that. I firmly believe that and it always comes up. I know the episode and what it was about and it helps me to process different trials that I face or even good things, actually. So it's, it's it means a lot to me and the fandom of Star Trek and the stardom and the people in the cast are special. It's a special community. Yeah. That's the basics of it. We have a question from the audience. Have you watched the okay. newer Trek series as Discovery, Prodigy, Picard, and Lower Decks? And if so, how do you feel about them? Yes. So first of all, I'm in, absolutely in love with Prodigy, mm -hmm. the animated series. I will fully admit right here that I am a follower, hand and foot fan of Kate Mulgrew, who, who plays Captain Janeway on the Voyager series. So the fact that she made a return in this one, I just, it makes my heart so happy. And they did, the producers of the show did such a good job in melding new experiences while relating to the old and the, the Trek storytelling that I personally enjoy. And speaking of audiophileness, I love her voice. So whenever I, whenever I started my fanboy obsession with Kate Mulgrew, I started looking into more about her and I've read, started reading her memoirs or anything that she reads on audiobook. And She's I was so great I actually, audiobook. Absolutely. And I started to actually discover that Kate Mulgrew as a person was really interesting too. So I followed her as an actor and her journey as well. There's that. Discovery, I will admit I'm not there yet. I've watched, when it first came out, I watched the first few episodes and I was just really disappointed that it wasn't the same feel that I was used to. So I left it for a bit and I was raging. Like it's not really Star Trek and all these things. I'm now making an attempt to rewatch it. Mm -hmm. But my mind was changed a bit and reconsidered when I went to, there was a Hollywood screening I was invited to for a documentary of the DS9 series that they released somewhat recently in the last few years. And some of the cast members were here at the screening. I forgot even why I was invited to this. And one of the actors who I am having a mind erase about one second, and I will look it up, was there. And a similar question came up from the audience about how I expressed my distaste for discovery or something. Mm -hmm. And his answer was really, it really made me think differently about my own perceptions of it. So Sirach Lofton was there, who plays Jake Sisko, as well as Aaron Eisenberg, who plays Nog. And I have this sort of history of experience with becoming friends with or meeting Star Trek actors. It's this wild thing that I'm not complaining about. But Aaron Eisenberg and I met at this screening and we just got to talking and 
anybody that you ask will say Aaron's like that with everybody. He just loves anyone and everybody. But he responded an answer that you know, Star Trek is not this two-dimensional thing. If you mm-hmm. look at Star Trek as this sort of jewel, as this multi-surfaced diamond, if you will, it's not one thing. If you look at it from this angle, it's this way. And if you look at it from this angle, it's actually this thing. But as a whole, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so his wonderful analogy of that had me reconsider the actual universe of what Star Trek is, and it's not this one-dimensional perspective thanks and unfortunately he passed away a couple of years ago i think and i really mourned that loss but we had conversations on instagram together and we're always just celebrating each other's accomplishments and lives and i've met a few quite a few star trek actors i've met one of the kind of stand-in ask uh, actress for a guest role on an episode of voyager just by chance at some convention and he was super nice i've met armin shimmerman who plays quirk on Deep Space Nine, wonderful, amazing person, wonderful actor, just that whole, everyone that's connected to those series are also wonderful, amazing human beings and fight for things like progress and love and equality. And so there's many reasons why I'm a Star Trek nerd. It's just, it celebrates the good things about being human. Yeah. Yeah. Folks in the Twitch chat are talking about the trans representation and discovery and how interesting and cool that has been. It comes a little bit later. I don't think it's in the very first episode. If I've I remember yeah. with Prodigy, don't they have a, they definitely have a mix of races. Do they have mm-hmm. they, them people in the first episode? I don't know. I remember if that little squad, that little beginning crew. Yeah. I don't remember off the top of question. my head. I don't either. So... I feel like sometimes the captains in Star Trek do an excellent job of demonstrating mentorship to commanders and lieutenants and all of that. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your mentors in your life. Nice segue. Yeah, I would say most of my mentors in my life have presented themselves as as, um, women. And that's been a common theme in my life. And I talk about that on my podcast too. And I write about it. I've written a few articles about it in magazines that I've been asked to write articles for. And it's probably why I tend to gravitate toward Kate Mulgrew and her character on Star Trek. There's something about that I find, and even my own mother, something I find about any sort of minority or someone that's had to face adversity and fight through it that I relate with. There have always been carefully guided actions and wisdom imparted and thoughts, ideas, references, uh, counseling that have always been from these amazing people. One of them one of them was her name is Valerie, and she was a she is what well, yeah she was a, a mentor in my music school. She was the dean of music where I went to college, and it, very influential in being patient with me as a kind of confused young gay kid going to a religious college, and helping guiding me to find myself, and and, and giving me the tools to do that too as well as just even being in the music world, the classical music world, where it's so much self-work, finding your own literal voice, Mm -hmm. finding your own musicianship. It takes a lot of solo work as a music major. You're in a practice room 
80% of the time. Yeah, you're not right. going out and having fun. That's you're by true. yourself and you're doing a lot of self work. And when you do it through music, it can be, if you're not prepared for it, especially if you're going through some identity crisis, as I did as a gay man, having a girlfriend in college at the time and not knowing what all this means. But why am I attracted to the boys at school and not the girls? And what's going on? Why are my parents not here right now? Why there was a crisis happening at home at the same time? What do I do with this religion thing? At the same time, having to really dig deep into characterization when you're singing songs and, and touching that spirit soul part of you to have an effective performance mm -hmm. and not completely using it on the stage so you do a lot of self-work in there so to have the correct mentor at that time at those times were really essential even if it's just going over a piece with my pianist who happens to say hey are you okay what's going on mm -hmm. coming out to them and then getting some wisdom just at that moment who happened to present themselves as female and it just seems in my life over and over again, these women have always been there where men haven't or either just haven't chosen to. And that's not exclusive, of course. There's been amazing men that have been in my life that have contributed, just not as influential. Many of us have in-person mentors, but just as I just mentioned, literary or fictional mentors are just as important, I think. Mm -hmm. The example and have walked the path before us. And even fictional characters like Captain Janeway is huge for me for many reasons. And I, coming from a cis male perspective, being grown up in that environment, there's a lot of content out there geared toward women being role models for little girls. But I think women can also be really great role models for little boys. And I'm one of them. And mm -hmm. I think we should encourage that there's not boundaries with that. I think there's all sorts of good that can come from that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I'm wondering if you want to talk any more deeply about what it's like being in the sacred music and creative space as a cisgender gay man. Because I know that you're, yeah. you do this contemporary too, like right now in your life, you're working in the music space at least part of the time. I imagine also with pandemic, that's added a lot of complicating factors that you have to navigate. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, I did grow up in a Christian household in the South. Very, very early on, it, I was ugh, such a confusing time mm -hmm. because you're experiencing one thing and constantly hearing another that's yeah. complete opposite of what yep. you're experiencing. And you're like, and you're wondering why nobody else is feeling this way. And you're so confused to talk about the evangelical words saved. I think I was saved like 20 times <laughs> because it was like, I'm not changing. I must be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. There's something I'm not grasping here. So yeah, it was pretty traumatic to know that I'm broken, that there's not, there's something wrong with me that I'm not doing. And it's gotta be this, as you do this like search inside, it's gotta be because I look at these boys instead of the girls, that's gotta be it. So I gotta get rid of that somehow. So fast forward to me being in my thirties and moving to Los Angeles where for the first time, and a little bit of a, of a backstory of that I've always worked in the church. As a musician, you often find yourself being pulled into that. Yeah. I played in the band. I was a keyboardist singer person. And I think, and we talk about this on a upcoming episode actually with one of my really close friends when I was a kid and we both experienced this together. So it was really fun to record that episode to for have us both talk about that again, 
25 years later, what that was like, but, but you either went two directions. You either went like full in on the spiritual side or foundational side of the church, or you, if you're a musician and you got lucky, you got to just play music (laughs) through it. And so that was my role. And so I, that real, I was very much, I was a piano player. And again, I think looking back on it, I just saw it as like this cinematic perspective. Let's make the mood as much as possible. How can I make this uh, cool experience with music? So that eventually progressed me into college and to study classically. And again, in the kind of um, classical end of the spectrum, if you have that ability and talent and skill, you're often asked to go work into the church and that end too because there's this whole other classical music end of the church, which actually I wasn't exposed to until my like mid twenties that I I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know it existed. Depends on the type of church. Totally. I didn't know there was such a thing. The more classical you get. Yeah. I didn't know what, I didn't know the word liturgical at all until like my mid (laughs) twenties. And, it's okay. Um, I just have two degrees in religion to get that word. <laughs> hey, I have a minor in religion. I don't know if <laughs> nice. I told you that. Um, I started but... as a music major, and then it was too hard. I couldn't learn how to play piano, and those practice rooms were too. Yeah. It's too much being in those practice rooms all that time. You get it. it's too. I do. It was too big of an ask. Yeah. I wasn't ready for that level of shadow work. I think. Oh gosh, yes. So, I didn't even realize that it was a possibility. We we took in my choir. We took a like a choir trip to mm-hmm. England and we were nice. the choir in residence at this big cathedral. For the first time in my life, I was in a space that was gargantuan. I felt like mm-hmm. it was in a castle and where the space around you was ancient mm-hmm. and create, and covered with stone and pipe work. And then I heard a humongous for reals pipe organ and I heard classical things and I saw stained glass and I was just completely overwhelmed in a different way. And I had this other experience that I was not expecting. And I was like, wait, this can happen. You can have this refinement and celebration of human achievement through music. That's why I didn't even know that was an option. So I got addicted to that a little bit. So I wanted to know everything there was about it. And eventually I was curious as a keyboard player um, about the pipe organ, this ancient instrument that sometimes are thousands of years old in their construction and that Bach himself played. And so I get really interested into the archeological study of it and where the space itself is part of the instrument and design of it. So I started to study that and that landed me eventually to California as an organist in um, Northern California. And then I started to realize when I was in Los Angeles at this other church because of music, once again, that the priest of the church was an openly gay man. That concept alone blew my mind. That was even a thing that could happen and that you could actually have an option to explore your spirituality and not even have to have an answer, but the option to explore it with someone in your own world that also identified as a gay man. I had never had that before. I haven't had any mentors at all that expressed themselves as being gay. So to have both of those in one person that also was a friend is a, a hugely emotional experience. And then I just ran into more people like that, gay musicians, gay music leaders. Yeah, more gay, gay. And then I also met my first trans minister this year too, which is a tremendously moving experience. 
when I say, I guess, depending on where I am, when I say that sometimes I am a gay musician in a church, there's a little bit of a double take. How does that work? What mm -hmm. do you mean? To me, or for me, it has less to do with the actual dogmatic religious experience and how to put those together. It's more about the exploration of it and the permission and freedom to have the mystery celebrated in a space that is a sacred space and allow you to have your own encounter with it. The permission to do that and not be told or rushed into it. And for me, I did that exploration musically. Mm -hmm. And I chose the path of having this classical music experience as opposed to the rock band experience. Not saying that's a poor choice, but for me, it was a much more intense and meaningful experience to explore it that way. So I'm still doing it. I think also I've given myself the ability and permission to explore the range of my spirituality. I think now I identify as probably agnostic. But even mm -hmm. knowing that I perhaps right now today will take that label, I'm still welcome to explore it in a church setting or not, or whatever I want to do is... So I wonder if you would share your fabulous nail polish with us and yeah. then maybe tell us about what it's like being a cis gay man who appreciates and embraces femininity, who presents a little bit gender wonderfully in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. So these are just things I like to do, have fun when I travel actually it's been the norm lately. So this, these are my hands. <laughs> so I, I don't know, I'm playing with the idea of switching things around on myself. I will you know, fully admit that I saw Harry Styles wear some fingernail polish one day, a magazine cover or something. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I think it was even during the pandemic when I had nothing better to do than just stare at things and explore myself. I even did a few on my Instagram. I even did a full, like a few like self photo shoot fun things. I just pulled mm -hmm. things out of the closet and threw them on and did some photography of myself. It was a great time to explore the outside of myself, how I appeared. Mm -hmm. And so I just from Amazon ordered some random fingernail polish colors. And it was so much fun to just add another element to explore how I present my body and how I present my hands even. Mm -hmm. For me, it's it's I feel grounded, including the jewelry that I'm wearing. Could you describe what your hands look like to those who are listening to this in podcast form and can't see your gestures? Yeah, and hands? absolutely. So I'm putting up my hands now and there are different colors. Most of my nails are not even painted at all. They're just natural. But on my right hand pinky, I have like a aqua looking color there mm -hmm. and then on my other hand I have on the middle a yellow and then next to it a bluish kind of color mm -hmm. and, and your, I did a lot uh, of malachite ring is clipping through my green screen filter so it's it is, binary it? colors <laughs> depending on how high or low it is yeah, yes, exactly. that, that ring is green not purple <laughs> yes so then what I started doing is when I would travel different parts of the world I would seek out a jewelry maker or someone that or an indigenous jewelry maker was one of these. And I wanted to award an artist for making something and also make it part of the experience that I had while experiencing a culture or a place. And um, adding that to how I express myself. I also usually wear a lot of jewelry. I'm not wearing some today, but on my chest. 
mm-hmm. pendants or um, necklaces or things. It helps me lately to accessorize myself to help add experiences to my life and feel fully formed. So like one of these rings I have on, I got while I was in Amsterdam. Nice. And this particular ring represented a conversation I had with the jewelry designer. So I remember that experience. This one with the Malachite I got in Mexico and it represents certain experiences I had there. And over here, it was an indigenous craftsman person that was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so that experience helps me. It helps me to remember where I've been and where I'm going and then to continually keep exploring myself in a visual way. And it Mm -hmm. helps express what's going on in the inside too. On top of like, now I have some leather bands that I have on. I made this myself actually. Nice. And then on a gift, this was a gift to me from a priest actually. It's got a little cross on it from some different country somewhere. So I'm always trying to add and pull and push my own boundaries of what my appearance is in a fashion sense. So who inspired you to push those boundaries? Was it just Harry Styles or was it Harry Styles and some other folks too? Definitely, I I think seeing a, for me, seeing a masculine identified person wear fingernail polish like that mm-hmm. encouraged me to think that, that was possible. I didn't even consider that as an option. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, during the pandemic, it was low risk. It was yeah. just me in my apartment and plus my cat. So my, my cat, of course, judged me for it, but it was really fun to have the ability to like, hey, let's start over. Let's push the boundaries. Let's see what's going on. And, but even before that, I appreciated the idea of pushing gender norms with how people choose to dress. I'm a huge fashion fan. I have, I just made a recent face or a Instagram post where I've collected probably over 50 Vogue magazines. And I recently, as a pandemic project, could just organize them by date or something. But I will sit there. There's been times where I have a Vogue magazine on the subway train mm-hmm. and I'll just cry because of the, the beauty that's presented in the photo. I love the way fabric moves on somebody. I love the way that it's juxtaposed in the environment, how, it, how a friend of mine says, fashion is moving art. Mm-hmm. And I think it closely aligns with that experience that I had in that cathedral where there's like stone and color and glass and all these things that celebrate what humans are are capable of. So fashion is just another one of those elements of art that uses different fabrics and materials to put together this thing that you can actually wear or present or put out there, not just for yourself, but how you want to be seen in the world. And so I'm having a lot of fun right now to see what's next for myself, to just push that a little bit more. For instance, I just had this idea recently that I would like to maybe find something that would add the idea of a skirt to myself in Los Angeles. And along with a traditional pant or something like, hmm, that'd be fun. Like just the ability to have fun with what I'm wearing is hugely exciting to me. I actually, I like to go into a store and go to all of the gendered areas, the different Mm -hmm. gendered areas, air quotes, and just see what looks good on me. It doesn't have to be labeled for me, Mm -hmm. but it's just something that I like and put it on. Like 
this scarf that I'm wearing right now. Or actually, I brought actually this uh, this little wool ca- the wool cap, like warm cap. Mm-hmm. What is this called? A beanie? I'm not sure what that one is. Yeah. Americans um, call it a beanie. Canadians would call it a toque. Okay. So this beanie that I have, it's a brown beanie, pretty basic looking. However, it's from a usually designed for women brand named Kuyana. And I just adore their branding. I adore their social media strategy. I adore their look, everything. So I want to have something that's by them. So I ordered this over the lockdown and it's one of my like favorite pieces. And who says it's designed for women? It's mine. So now it's designed for all of us. So things like that. I just, why have limits? Just be you. So I'm trying to, to figure out what's next for me. So that's my exploration of it. I feel like you already answered the, what do you find intriguing about fashion question? Uh, but one of the people in chat was asking, are you aware of Ezra Miller? They're also a masculine presenting person that's- who has pushed boundaries. And they think that possibly Ezra recently came out as non-binary. That sounds familiar. I need to do more research, but yes, I love Ezra Miller. And yeah, that's a great recommendation. And I think I'm blanking. There was an also related Vogue cover that had a couple, a cishet couple that pushed the idea of wearing each other's clothes, like just wearing what feels amazing or comfortable and not just being locked into a certain gender yeah that's yeah that's pretty cool uh there there are some once in a while trans trans for trans couple will get together and they'll be going opposite directions Uh or or not necessarily opposite on a binary scale but just different directions and so then end up borrowing Uh each other's clothes yeah and i know like my wife and i will give each other a little bit of socializing feedback i'll be like why is this a thing and she'll be like, oh, yeah, that is a thing. Here's the protocol that I learned when I inhabited that space. Oh, that's so weird. Like, yeah. for example, men's restrooms, there's no talking. Oh. <laughs> there's no eye contact. Yes. There's very specific rules about if you're using the stall mm. versus the urinal and which urinal do you use? Oh, and yeah. how do you negotiate that? There was a time mm-hmm. when I went in to use the restroom and there was two urinals in one stall and I went to use the stall and the person who was in there already peeing was at the urinal next to the stall. And my wife was like, yeah, he's the one that messed up in that situation because you're not supposed to be next to the stall if there's only two. And I was like, how do you know all these rules? <laughs> like, right. It's right. So complicated. So I was like, I I don't, how do you communicate? I need to get past you to use this toilet because I'm not going to stand to pee. Like, Without talking, it's so strange. I am underwhelmed with the amount of non-communication that men have in the bathroom. I I remember um, uh, younger, (laughs) I I don't even remember what timeline this was, but I think a few boys were curious what the women's restroom looked like. Mm -hmm. And we just imagined that it was, it had like gardens and fountains and like concierge and (laughs) all these things. And I think we, somehow we snuck in there or something and it had a couch or a chair or something something like mm-hmm. somewhat nice and we were just yeah flabbergasted yeah like why is it so nice in here uh-huh we want because this and when so we go to restrooms and packs and talk the whole time yeah so <laughs> it's a social yeah, event <laughs> it is totally right i've tried That's to push so that norm a little bit i'll have i'll take my boyfriends, meaning friends that are boys, into the restroom with me and start making that an experience in Los Angeles. It is Los Angeles, so who knows, but it's fun to do that too, I think. Yeah. No. I, I still pass enough 
as feminine adjacent that I can use the women's restroom without much trouble. I think as my facial hair starts to robustly grow in, with masks, I can still cover it for the most part. But once that stops being a thing, I'm going to have to concede and use the, even though I'm non-binary and I'm like, there's no C option. If there's ever like a family restroom, I always use that one. I'm like, can I just have the C option the other one becoming more prevalent i think right there we're getting there yeah and a yeah. lot of places have just like single stall restrooms that are all genders and that's really wonderful but it's like there's not enough good options it's so weird all you know the secret codes um, secret boy codes <laughs> i went to do you know what alamo draft house is no it's a it's like a cinema chain like a very small chain mm-hmm. that you can eat while you watch movies there's one that just opened in Los Angeles recently, and I went, I love the place, but I went to the restroom there, and they have a inter- very interesting experience. There is no women's and men's. Mm-hmm. There are, you go, there's either urinals or stalls, and you just go to what you need, and then there's like a shared sink space. So mm-hmm. you're gonna be passing female, male genders in the sp- same space. Yeah. And I love it. Gender neutral bathrooms are the bomb. There's a camp that I go to. I used to go to. We'll see with current events the next time Mm -hmm. I get to go do that. But where all the restrooms are gender neutral. And so you just encounter all the genders everywhere. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. If you go to somebody's house, there's not two separate. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the bathroom. The bathroom. Right. Yeah. All right. We got a little distracted by bathroom talk, which is fine. How has your relationship to gender presentation evolved over time? How has my gender presentation evolved? Yeah. Like at the beginning of your life, was it a little mm. was it a little different than it is now? So you saw some actually, role models and tried some things, but... Yeah. Um, I had to think about that for a little bit, access the Rolodex. But now that you mentioned that, I would say generally I have drawn closer to a more masculine presentation. When I was uh, smaller, I grew up in a large family with many cousins. So my uh, mother's side of the family has five siblings and they all had many kids and then just multiplies. So holidays, we were just always around each other, tons of kids running around everywhere. And I'd be at an aunt's house or something for when my mom was at work during the summers or during the week or holidays or whatever. And I remember being very curious. I always, I felt, I always felt com- more comfortable and closer to my female cousins. Mm-hmm. And so we had playtime. I wanted to play with the dolls and I wanted to paint my nails and I wanted to wear dresses and do traditionally girl stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember being scolded by my father for some of it. I don't have a whole lot of specific memory about it, but even like growing up in my neighborhood, I always preferred to hang out with the girls, have girl talk. I much, very much identified with that kind of thing. And then as I got older, I did a switch and I became more interested, maybe as I passed puberty or I'm not sure when that was, but. I became more interested in more masculine things and being introduced to like camping and hiking and rock climbing and fishing and knives and what else? Sports mm-hmm. kind of things. And even the dress that I have, the fashion changed a little bit. And even my demeanor, I think as a child, 
I was much more effeminate than I am now. Mm-hmm. And I was much more comfortable in those kinds of environments than I am now. So that would be my progression. I often used to look at that in a negative way when I would remember those things, but now I've embraced it as my journey and it will change. I think it will go back and forth. Sometimes even now I'm wearing fingernail polish and I'll, I'll play with this idea of femininity or embracing it or embracing masculinity if I want to for that day. So I'm very confident in myself now that I can explore whatever direction I'm feeling, depending on how I'm feeling at at the time. And I love that freedom. I think there was a time when I felt like I had to choose and be locked into one or the other. So I, yeah, I'm open to it ebbing and flowing, but that's been my journey so far. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that you just lean into what's feeling most authentic and buck the the gender norms or the presentation norms that have been handed to you. You're like, yeah. I, just, I do what I want. I'll wear a skirt if I want to. Yeah, that's a very recent thing, though. I think many people can relate to this idea that you are based, you're doing what you're doing based on what others think of you. And it was only a recent thing when I'm doing some self-work. When I had the pandemic for me, took away a lot of things to where the only person that actually mattered was me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it gave me a lot of freedom actually to explore me without any repercussions because there's no one else judging it. So what does it feel like to be me, actually me and just me? Mm-hmm. So that was a gift actually that this lockdown gave me was the freedom to explore that idea in all, in all of those areas. And so now I'm just continuing to explore it. Can you tell us more about what you like about the design part of fashion? Yeah, I. so I do um, consider myself a designer in many respects. In my daily work, I do a lot of visual design as far as what appears on a screen or social media or elements in a cinematic way. I actually wrote my master thesis on visual literacy. So I did theories and experiments on how human beings learn and consume things in the 21st century based upon what's on a screen. Mm -hmm. So I'm really nerdy about that stuff. And that includes font type faces, how words appear on a screen, along with narration or audio cues as far and what visuals are. So I relate that to how you're telling a story cinematically, but also with presentation in a formal sense, like a presentation software or talk or something. But I just lost track. What was the question? I just completely lost my... (laughs) What do you like about the design piece of fashion design? Thank you, design. I've always been, along with this idea of fashion, that always leads me to, I want to know about how and why things work. (laughs) So loving the fashion is uh, how, what, what, what came from the fashion, who created it, what was the mind like? I think this about music too. So I'm always constantly thinking about when I am liking a piece of music or something, what was the composer thinking? What was it like in their life? So the same thing with fashion, like what was the process? What is the person thinking about? So I'm often drawn toward the design element of fashion and what the designer itself had in mind. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, the persona of the designer, and I think we have this stereotypical personality of what a designer is. If you look at the Meryl Streep character for representing perhaps a um, anuentor of Vogue magazine and that kind of persona of attitude or control or just this maybe Edna Mode Mm -hmm. is another example. 
it fascinates me that kind of personality because it is a full embodiment of that person's idea. And sometimes you get this with, and one of the experiences I've had that actually saw come to life, which was incredible, and you get hooked on it, is I did a lot of traditional stage production and direction. And I had this experience where I was producing a musical. And when I had an idea in mind of what I wanted these characters to look like, I had the very big privilege of having a costume design department just create what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So if I say I go mm-hmm. into check on a sketch, I'm like, yes, that's great. This is what I envision. Let's make this. Then when I check on it a week later and it's created, and then I see these actors wearing it, I just was like, oh my gosh, there's like things in my head that I want to happen. And then if suddenly they're here, I just, you can't get over that. It's just an amazing process. Yeah. So there's got to be this similar feeling with fashion design where you have these these dreams and things that you see in your head that you want to help beautify the world that you're in and you put them down on paper and somehow they get made and when you have the ability to influence how something is made with every detail when it's detail oriented and then nothing leaves the room, so to speak, until it's approved basically by the designer. I find that whole kind of thing fascinating <laughs> because I think I want that for myself. I think I I want the ability to have the ideas that I have in my head to really exist in the world the way that I want them. There's a little bit of a problem with that with perfectionism, I think, too. I I want things to be this way and I want this detail and these kind of things and not released into the world until it's ready. But that's with any kind of art discipline. Filmmaking is not an exception. Mm-hmm. As a director, I often, I often will say, I'm not happy till I'm happy. I'll see, when I see it, that's it. And that's, that is the creative element of any sort of direction, art direction, mm-hmm. filmmaking, design. Even with the design that I do now, it's not it until it's it. And I, it can go through three or four iterations before it, that's my vision. That's what I want. But that process is really fun. And it's it expands and pushes our ability as humans to actually create quality, world-class things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's okay to want good things. And it's okay to push the way that we create and to perfect ourselves. I'm always trying to be better, do better, think differently. And it helps me to do that, to also push my box of thinking out a little bit mm-hmm. to other realms. So I don't know if I answered the question, but that's my my thinking of it and why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And design in general, design, I'm constantly just thinking about it. It's always in my mind in some sense. I have this orange background behind me very purposefully because that's my color right now. And I was thinking, it took me three hours to put this on, to put on a white t-shirt and a scarf and a denim jacket because that's how I wanted to present today, but it was so stressful. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and now, I, oh, the orange, what does it need? I'm missing something. Oh, orange. That's what I need. That's the background. That's so all so this fun. works together. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of into my mind. <laughs> I just put on a clean masculine looking shirt. <laughs> Five See, minutes before call time. <laughs> kind of wig match today. Yeah, uh, nasty. We do a little bit. It's very fun. 
Mm-hmm. I was just thinking I need like a nice denim jacket to go with my little outfit here. Oh, yeah. I literally was in the room thinking, okay, I'm missing something. What is it? There's scarf. That's it. Or, or a jacket or it needs this, that little touch of something. I just love that process. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's dressing, whether you're dressing a set or your body or your screen, your Christmas tree. It's, we love it as human beings. Yes, my, my my friends, especially on Twitch, like to tease me that if there's cats or rainbows or it's sparkly, I'm probably going to love it. My aesthetic is very yeah. rainbow cat sparkles. I love it. <laughs> and that is your aesthetic. You get so excited about that. I do. Yeah. It's very fun. So let's, do you want to talk a little bit about trans fashion? In our prep for the show, we talked a little bit. There's a couple of Instagram accounts that you follow that have good trans fashion things. I'm, yeah. I'm curious about when you're doing your design, do you ever think about like how can you make the characters you're designing visually more like gender wonderful in their presentation instead of just like very boxed into A or B? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I will fully admit it's a new thought. I need more experience in it. And it's just, a, it's been a recent, to be honest, I've only had a couple of trans friends in my circle over the past year. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware of trans people, but knowing someone in my life that is trans has been a new experience for me. And it's amazing. It's wonderful to learn consistent to constantly learn more things but also too i have had uh, one person in particular that's from my childhood that has come out as trans as an adult that i've seen that person's journey over my over our social media friendship and it's actually so wonderful to actually to any for anybody to see someone become gender wonderful right like to see them to see the look on their face change because they're in this euphoric transition, to experience just any type of identity euphoria, like, oh, this is me for the first time, I'm seeing me. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that's how I experience when I dress myself, like, oh, this is becoming myself, this feels better. And it's a constant journey. I've also run into colleagues and friends in Los Angeles that I have become to know. And that's one of the social accounts that I mentioned to you in our prep. That's a really wonderful person. And I don't want to say their name because I think they're trying out different ones at the moment. Yeah. It's understandable. But the, but the Instagram account we can mention if you want. And I know that they have some experience in that world and exploring the design for trans people, which is really cool. Also just off the top of my head, just like thinking about fashion in general and gender challenging it i have in my bedroom a poster of grace jones because i love the androgyny of it Mm -hmm. grace jones has always been this visual icon for me and the way that they choose chose to dress for certain things i'm always constantly exploring the things that Grace did because I think Grace challenged those norms. Grace was always wearing things that were provocative and exploring their own visual um, palette and stuff. So that's someone that I've always um, looked at as well, just exploring that feature. But I think it's something worth exploring more. I think I, I feel more comfortable with exploring it on myself first. And then 
trying it out or seeing what other people choose to do. Going back to Harry Styles, I think Harry Styles was the only pre presented as a man person that covered Vogue, I think, in recent history. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I, I'm sorry to talk about Harry so much, but this was like my awakening for this thing. But all throughout the issue, Harry's wearing like dresses and skirts and poofy things. And I just, and transparent blouses and stuff. It's so great. And it, what it does is it gives permission for people to just explore that you don't have to be in one box. Explore it, have fun with it. But yeah, do you want to mention this Instagram person? That I think it's on here. I don't, we have it written down. Yeah, so it looks like we have an Instagram link for Helena Roosevelt mm -hmm. and another link for the elder statesman. Yes. Can you tell us about yeah. these two Instagram accounts that you recommended? Yeah, I don't know much about the elder statesman, but I know that Helena Roosevelt person works with them. And we met in Hollywood, the two of us, through a mutual entertainment industry personality. We were like at a, par a Hollywood party or something like that. And then we realized that we worked in the same co-work space. Mm -hmm. And it was always really great to see each other. It was It's at this wonderful co-work space that's beautifully designed, speaking of design, in Hollywood. And it was really great to see my friend who often would work on the weekends, like on a Sunday afternoon and get a hug from them and just know that we're both working on these creative things quietly and showing each other what we're working on. It was great to have a friendship with that person. And then we'd often, I think we even had a LGBT centered like hangout space on the rooftop once and we were there together and there's some pictures of us together and it was great to just create that friendship with this person. I just vibe with them. It's just, it's a great vibe, but they often will, I see them creating clothing specifically for a non-binary or trans person that's getting married mm -hmm. or a special event or just casual clothing. But I know that person has had experience in creating specific custom design stuff for that person as a person and not just, oh, a men or a women's clothing, but what is it? How do you want to feel? Or how do you want to look? I think that's the next era of fashion is the person, how they explore themselves and not women's fashion or men's fashion, but just people fashion. That'd be great. Yeah. Gender yeah. abolitionist fashion. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I have two questions left for you and we'll see if anyone else in the Twitch chat or in the Discord AMA channel has anything else to chime in with. But I'm curious how your podcast has helped you explore your identities. The podcast I have, it's called Justin Conversation. It's a play on my name. And I give credit actually to David that actually gave me that idea. We were, I've been wanting to create a podcast for years and just not really know what it wanted to be on, what it wanted to be. Yeah. And so this person's like, oh, you should make, you should call it just in conversation. And I laughed about it. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's actually pretty cool. So then I had an artist friend design the logo for it. And I really, the beginnings of the idea of this podcast was out of the midst of lockdown in Los Angeles in recent history with this pandemic, I felt I lost a lot of friendships that I normally had. I lost a lot of communities. The choir that I speak of that I was singing with stopped. That community ended. And I saw one of each one of my places that I enjoyed, whether it be an institution 
or a people group or a group of friends, the lights went out one by one. Mm -hmm. And I increasingly saw myself being isolated and solitary. So I had to do this reset and I, but I also had a need to reconnect back to the world in some way, desperately, but it had to be in this new way. So I was just sitting there one day and deep in thought and in wondering, have I always been this disconnected? Why am I grieving these friends that only, I've only had the last 10 years of my life? What about the other part of my life? Where are these connections and friends now that I used to have that I that brought me joy because I was thinking about at what point was I happy at what point did I feel connected at what point did I have community so my mind traveled back all the way to high school and childhood and mm -hmm. early college and these there were people that I remembered that I had forgotten about actually that meant a great deal to me that helped me feel confident in the world and felt loved. And some of them I hadn't talked to in 20 years. And I, I wondered what went on in their lives, but also how they felt about me. What did they feel like when I came out? What do they feel? What do they think of me now? All those things. So I started reaching out to people and saying, hey, I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to chat with people that I haven't talked to in decades. What do you think? And I figured that would be more approachable and palatable than just calling somebody up on the phone and say, hey, it's been 20 years, what's going on? I just, I delved headfirst into it and it's been a, a hugely cathartic experience, not only for me, but for them. It's been hugely emotional. I think as adults, I'm about to be 40 this year, it gets hard to make connections. It gets hard to make friends. So much growing up, you're put into built-in situations to make friends. You're put in a classroom or you're put into a group or um, a, a sports team where you're just naturally going to make friends or a space or a workplace. So I've worked for myself for years and I haven't been in a, a traditional workspace with coworkers for a while. So I felt alone and needed to reconnect. And so going back to these relationships I had for 10, 15, 20, 25 years and seeing both that not much has changed in the things that I loved about these people, but also some things have changed. And both of those things end up actually being wonderful. I've had several feedback points from guests that it was so nice to just look back and think back to those times that we had forgotten that brought us joy as kids or earlier human beings in high school or whatever. And Oh yeah, I remembered that. I that was a good experience. And maybe maybe life isn't that terrible. Maybe there are things worth remembering and worth saving and actually friendships that are worth getting back in touch with and feeling that you're not alone in this world and in the planet that you can share this earth that we're on together with people that maybe you had forgotten about. So it's a good reminder too to check in with people. And it's okay if you're the one to start it. It's taught me a lot about discipline. It's taught me a lot about getting to know a lot about people. It's made me do the work to really ask someone what it's like to be them and, and take it out of myself a bit. So in that regard, hearing people talk about me, how they viewed me, 
it sometimes will affirm what I think. It will also give me curiosities about myself. But overall, it it really um, encourages me to keep following the exploration of finding who I am. And that continues and continues the older I get. So that's what it's done for me. And that self-exploration and identity, I think that I'm thinking about right now that the trans community is doing is hugely, I'm so in awe of what you and many others in the trans community are experiencing because there's not many other people that actually are doing the work to find themselves on a real visceral level, physical mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why in my experience, the trans people that I have met are just these magical, amazing people because you are the ones that are doing the self work to really find who you are. It's very easy as a cis male white person to not to be lazy about myself and pretty much get away with okay life. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do a whole lot if I didn't want to. It is so encouraging to see someone that is not entirely solid in their identity and do the work to to constantly keep at it to make this this journey to finding who they really are and who they want to present. I think it's just amazing inspiration. And it inspires me that if they can do it, I absolutely can do it. And mm-hmm. so it's thank you for doing that. And that's that conversation and those experiences help me to also want to bring it out of the people that I know, not just in a trans way, but anyway, explore your gender, explore your expression, explore what you wear, explore how you color yourself, explore your conversations, your experiences, get to know someone that you're uncomfortable knowing. So that's what it does for me. And I love it. Yeah. The last question that I have for you is what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender, sexuality, and design? Is there any takeaways that you want to make sure folks tuck in their cap and take home with them? I think I said a lot of it just now, but I will tell you work that I'm doing and maybe that others can consider listening to this is the way that you express how you see the world, the way that you process the world is probably not how other people do it. (laughs) And I am learning to consider the fact that other people do not process or think or move or breathe or see the world that I do in the same way that I do. And it's a recent revelation that that is a wonderful thing, that there are there's such a kaleidoscope and spec people in the way that we animate and paint and fill the world with this gift that we have inside that only we can bring to the world. And uh, if you don't think of the world that way, I challenge you to do that because it can only fulfill your life in a way that you haven't imagined. And it also expands your circle of friends and you get to see things that you never thought were possible before. And it expands 
therefore your inner self and what you're capable of. And that's with, that's what design does. That's what gender exploration does. And even sexuality, that's what it does. You're exploring what's possible. Consider the possibility that there's more out there. That's the- Thank you so much for being on the show, Justin. It was such a delight to have you here. I just love your energy. Your beard is like transition goals. I hope one day I can have a fuzzy uh, oh, face as fuzzy as yours. Me too. <laughs> I'm fuzzy very fuzzy. Face. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. I feel very privileged to come to the space. I know that it's a rarity for a cisgender person to come onto your the space. So everyone that's here, thank you so much for welcoming me. And I have so much so much respect for all of you. So I feel very honored to be here. Thanks so much. So as a reminder, friends, you can find Justin's content on Instagram at FuzzJustin, on Twitter at Fuzz, just four whole letters. You must have got mm -hmm. on Twitter very early back in the day. Yes. Yeah. And the podcast Just In Conversation, you can actually find at www.justinconversation.com. Yes, Which and season really two wonderful. is coming out soon. There's a there's a, a lot of old episodes on there, but I'm launching season two probably in the next few weeks. So, yay. So probably sometime in January 2020, late January. Yeah. 2022, yeah. 2022. What year is it? I don't know. I know, I know. <laughs> it's already started. It's so fun. Thank you.